everything, waiting for everything to start. That's what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing, but that's what I'm doing. It's 8.45 a.m. Saturday, August the 11th, 2018. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane. Why did I get so giggly there all of a sudden? Because you were talking in almost like a Walter Brennan-like voice. What was I doing? I don't know. What was I saying? You were just sitting here. Oh, that's right. I was just sitting here. (laughs) Well, it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual. Over to you, Chet. Thank you. Oh, man. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's just a thing. I it's a tri- it's a it's a tick. It is a tick. I'm sorry. And I have nothing interesting to say. Nothing interesting to say. <laughs> How very interesting that you have nothing interesting to say. I was just thinking, you know, because I, I I get you 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 got you have to kind of get things going and stuff. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we start and I'm just going to... I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. So then you talk for a while and then I say, oh, then my mind wakes up. Ah, ham and eggs. Somebody's either going to need to slap me around or you're going to need to talk for a couple of minutes. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk for a couple of minutes. Will you? Okay. Yeah. I know there's stuff been on your mind and stuff like that. So. I think the thing that has been on my mind this week is the dis- discovery through you... Mm-hmm. of Alan Alda's oh, podcast. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that we do this little Bill and Diane show and it's, we listen it's, to... It's not that interesting, but... Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. what I meant was that we do this, but we listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes. And um, my, my favorites have been ones that you've introduced to me, actually. Well, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you have a little time on your hands, yeah. Diane. So, yeah. But I was, I don't know how I first heard about the, that Alan. Oh, he was a guest on something. I was watching some interview with him and somebody mentioned just a podcast just in passing. And I was like, Alan, all that has a podcast? So, yeah, it's called Clear and Vivid. And I think that describes it actually quite well. Uh, some very kind of... Um, highly thought out conversation I feel like it's like he's he's interviewing people who have had made some kind of clarifying statement of some kind at some point in their lives and he dives right into that and kind of uh, so it's I don't know for some reason I just find it incredibly engaging as a conversation and that's what most podcasts are Uh, you know not unlike this one they are a conversation between two people so Anyway, Alan Alda just, uh, I like where he's coming from, I guess. Maybe that's it. It's a personal identification with Alan Alda as kind of a cultural hero of my lifetime or something yeah. like that. I imbue him with, with power that he may not actually possess, but who cares? Well, and now he's yeah. aged and... He's 80 years old and yeah. uh, he wanted to do a thing where he could talk to some of his favorite people and what the heck. I mean, I'm, I can't think of a better reason to for something like that to be done. I associate it with Malcolm Gladwell's in that here's someone who's revered already for an, in another field, but is also, you know, as part of his experience in life, has had these amazing conversations and met these amazing people and heard these amazing stories. And now there's a, we're living in a world wherein someone might approach someone like that and say, hey, have you thought of doing a podcast? Yeah. To just kind of 
bring some of this, some other facets of who you are and your encounters in your lifetime, you know, into public view where they might be able to do some good. I really appreciate that. Well, and I was telling you that when, when I'm listening to the podcast, to the podcast world, I'm usually listening in the morning when I'm going to work. Yeah. And there are, there are various podcasts that I really love to listen to, but they just aren't great morning listening because they're too meditative and I don't, I can't get into that kind of frame of mind. That's why you should subscribe to TBTL. Well, because that is the perfect morning. I mean, it's like, it's like a good radio show and it's only about an hour usually or a little more long. And that it's just these two guys you have to, you have to listen to it for a while because it's, it's 85% inside jokes. You know, that build up over time. It's like things happen on a show and then they replay the clip of that happening in the next show and some kind of odd, weird framing of it. And it's just, it's part montage and part a couple of guys talking about weird stuff. But it's, they're very entertaining. And Luke uh, by himself, uh, Luke Burbank by himself, I, I think he's entertaining. Andrew Walsh by himself, I think, is entertaining. The two of them together is a pretty good combination of personalities, though, because of the way they work off each other. And there's nothing more to it than that. They're not famous for something else. They're just a couple of guys who started a podcast, you know, like 10 years ago, or as a radio show on a local radio station. And uh, it's still going, and it's got this weird little cadre of followers, and it's, you know, really entertaining and fluffy and fun and a good way to get your head moving in the morning. I always play it when I'm doing my exercises and stuff like that. I used to listen to it when it was a radio show, when I was driving up the, uh, the Columbia River from Chelan, or Chelan back to Twist. And you could pick up AM radio in the car from Seattle. I, that's when I first heard it. Well, when I was mentioning that, that I listened to other podcasts, I was mainly thinking that I'm not interested in podcasts about celebrity, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that there's this whole world of selections that you can choose. I mean, even in, in activities that I, we're always, when you're talking, we're not talking about all the things in the skydiving we're doing or the mountain climbing or the, it's not the our, hiking. It's, it's or not our Christmas letter with all the highlights of the, uh, yeah. you know, of the year. Well, I, I just feel like um, my life has always been more towards the mind than it is, has yeah. been towards the physical experiencing of things. And not to say that that's valid i it's just it's not a, uh, attracted i always think about the the world as this huge <laughs> uh, you know like when you think about all the the different choices you can make you you don't have time for everything yeah, yeah. so you have to choose the things that attract you the most and right. um and i always have been more interested in the life of the mind and well, i've always, always been so. a, a student too but i and i think when you're younger you know for me, when I was younger, physical things appealed to me more. But they were never, I mean, it's not like they were dominant, really. But they held a lot bigger place in my life, you know. Well, I, th- I think it depends a lot on on your circumstances because uh, I've always had poor eyesight. And I've always wondered how much of that yeah. 
influenced the fact that I was not really comfortable camping and stuff like that because if I lost my glasses or something went wrong with my contacts it would be uh it would be very very bad because my when I was a kid my eyesight was really bad so um not from farsight but just because I had a, a lazy eye and I had double vision so I always wonder is that why I made the choices that right. I did you yeah. know but that being said, I, um, I find that the podcasts that are the most meaningful to me and all the various choices are not ones that are talking about current events or, um, or current celebrities or current sports figures or whatever, which I always thought radio programs, they are trying to attract the the greatest listenership so they they go for the common denominator which they always think is going to be those things celebrity sports politics and i get very tired of that very quickly but i like the certainly the revisionist history because it's always like listening to the spellbinding story and an interpretation that is a little different than the norm but it's really his ability to tell a story that gets you involved and then i like this alan alda because it's a it's a conversation that i would love to be a part of when i'm listening to it and the most interesting one is the one with letty what was her name um she was one of the founders of Ms. Magazine. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I think there's. I think the one with Isaac Perlman is really good. I think the one with Sarah Silverman is the first one I listened to, and it is a standout in my mind because of the subject matter of it. And uh, well, I haven't even heard some of those yet. You got. You got to hear the Sarah Silverman one. That was. I think that was the very first episode. It was Letty Cotton Pogrebind. Pogrebind. Yeah, that's Pogrebind. Anyway, that's a really good interview. So, and the, most of these people are people, I mean, I don't think Alan Alda knew Sarah Silverman before, but the way he, I mean, he's just very comfortable in, and he, he's got some very Im- amazing ideas about communication and is very skillful in communicating. And a lot of that, I think he has learned through acting, but, you know, he's very much, he says, he likes to say that he enters every conversation with the idea, something this person says could change me. Yeah. You know, whether he whether they're completely opposites in terms of um, political polarity or, or lifestyle choices or whatever, um, he says he always tries to hold that position in a conversation with somebody so that he can listen more authentically and not be fra- framing his response while the person's still talking, stuff like that. So. Well, and I think that that was the whole point of the Letty Cotton poker bit. <clears throat> conversation that appealed to me so much and I haven't listened to all the episodes I was really attracted to her um, conversation with him both from the standpoint that they've been friends for 40 years and so and it was very evident because they were just talking very comfortably it wasn't I mean they were doing what we're doing we're just talking we're not trying to to glitz it up or do anything to be a show we just are talking 
uh, on a Saturday morning, and that was what they were basically doing with a purpose. And I really liked the fact that she was talking about how she got groups of people together and would be focusing on their their commonality rather than things that make them different. Right. And it could be any number of things. Yeah. But the other thing that really attracted me uh, about that show is that she was talking about um, a book that she had written that I actually got because I was so attracted to it, which was how to be a friend when your friend is sick. Because, uh, yeah, that was an interesting topic that she brought up. And a lot of us, I think, really do feel a little nervous in the face of illness. I know I do. Uh, you don't want to, to emphasize it too much or not emphasize it enough. You, you just add, it, it adds a level of complexity that you hadn't anticipated, you know, with the... But I, the thing that I've really gotten from that is that you just have to be a loving friend. I mean, uh, I think that the, the issues a lot of times come up because um, you aren't really that close to the person. Yeah. Uh, I think when you're close to that person, there's nothing that you can do that is wrong because right. you're... But in order to be close to everybody you know, you would have had to have lived with them your whole life like you exactly. did with your... Like I did with like Tim or somebody like that, you know, unless you've known somebody through their lives so to where circumstances led you into these stranger areas. Right. Then when someone that you know is suddenly sick, you don't have any frame of reference to go to. But anyway, it's a, it's a great book. and It's a great um, book and it's a great topic and it's the same topic as it, he's on with Sarah Silverman too. And, but, and, but, and Sarah Silverman's going at the same thing that that woman was talking about but from a different yeah. perspective. But it's the same topic that they're talking about, too. So that's kind of uh, something that is that is a linkage through all the programs that Alan Alda's doing. And I like that that is the focus. Whether that will stay the focus or not, I don't know. But these first, I think he's going to do 10 episodes, and then probably they're, they do like seasons now on some of these podcasts, and it makes sense. Because it's not the sum total of what the person's doing. Unlike Luke Burbank and Andrew Andrew Walsh, who do two TBTL five days a week as a like they would a regular radio show, which is one of the things that appeals to me about it, because it is like this bridge between what used to be the best things about radio that doesn't exist on radio anywhere anymore, unless you're in a very small town or something like that. It's bringing that kind of entertainment for lack of a better word, into the podcast realm. And there aren't very many podcasts that are like TBTL because it's more like a radio show, and they call it imaginary radio. There's the, the internal dynamics of the program and its relationship with its listenership is what makes it so great. And that's what was so great about radio back in its heyday was there was a sense of you had found something, that you had a sense of ownership and being part of the whole thing and there was interaction with the audience and stuff like that and TBTL does that in spades so it's just a, it's a, like a world unto itself and it's not a bad place to hang out for an hour while you're doing something else it's like radio you know you'd have radio on in the background while you were doing the dishes you know this is something you can have as part of your environment for an hour a day and, and uh, get something out of it if nothing more than just 
you know, cringing at something ridiculous or laughing at something funny or whatever. So I feel like there's a place for that kind of podcast too. But I really appreciate what people like Alan Alda and, and uh, you know, the other guy. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> are doing on their podcasts. So, anyway. And it's been, uh, and, and it's interesting because the warm weather, I've been trying to figure out ways to be in warm weather because it's not very a happy time for my body in its particular circumstance and for anybody's. Yeah. I think there's, I think most of the people I run into, they seem to always want it to be hot and sunny. And yet when it's hot and sunny, they're like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm just, can't, I can't believe, how long is this going to go on? You know, I've just, never wanted it to be I, hot me and either. sunny. Me either, but it just seems like, I, I, you know, maybe it's just a social media phenomenon that I've picked up on in the last few years. Everybody's, you know, oppressed by the rain, and it's like now they're oppressed by the heat. It's like, okay, man, lighten up, decide, make a decision. You know, it's funny because people are always telling me, well, I, I don't mind the rain if it's just for a, a week or, or you know, a few days. It doesn't rain that much here. It doesn't rain that much here. I just can't stand the total gray, and I was thinking, oh, I'm fine with the total Seattle gray. Seattle doesn't have that much rain. It's just and it's a total lot of gray, gray today. Yeah. So. Just, this, is what, this is what I like. Yeah. I like gray skies. I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of rain, necessarily, but it does have a cooling and cleansing effect when it does come. So I don't mind it that much. Whereas heat doesn't seem to have any kind of purifying quality to it. it it's like a stagnation. It's like a you know still pool, you know. And, uh, not as good. It's the doldrums. Not as good. But anyway, so I've been trying to strategize after having had a pretty miserable summer last summer, m- emotionally, mentally, and physically, uh, that I was going to try and do some more proactive things when I felt like I was not able to do all the things that I would normally do, which is never true, but it feels that way. It's the weirdest phenomenon I've ever encountered, to feel like I can't do things that I can actually do all day, every day. It's like getting up and going to get some more water. I can't get up. And then I get up. It's freaking, it's like having an argument with your head 24 hours a day. Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. But anyway... So I've been studying. I decided I wanted to study. You boy. And, uh, That's good coffee. So I said to myself, well, who have I, what person or thing have I got the most resources on? It's Gary Snyder. I've got more of his poetry and prose and books about him and books of his letters and, you know, all this kind of stuff than any other person on my bookshelf. So I thought, I should do that. So I've been doing that. It's been great. It's led me to, to some interesting things. His current publisher, Counterpoint uh, Press, uh, is issuing a lot of deluxe editions of his books. Gary Snyder is 88 years old. Uh, he put his, la- his most recent book came out, I think, in 2015. And he's published another book of prose since then. So he is still engaged. And... Uh, and this this is the, this year marks 40 years of my relationship with him because I was introduced to Gary Snyder in January of 1978. And I remember it because it was a particular class that I took in college. So I thought that would be good. So I'm immersed in Gary Snyder. So uh, rather than instead of music today, we were trying to decide what music we would play, and we were 
you know, tearing our hair out because we don't want to just play anything. We want to play something that has resonance with us. But we've done 260 some of these shows now. How many different artists have that kind of presence exactly. in, our, in our ongoing consciousness? So, so I've finally said, well, why not just do something that's related to what we're into? I guess we could play yeah. a part of the Alan Alda podcast, but that probably wouldn't be that great to do. But I thought, I guess just play some Gary Snyder poetry. So that's what we're going to do. Poems that come with solitude and visions given to you by animals. This actually happened to me. I mustn't hit myself too hard. We had been having some serious talks on the environmental crisis in San Francisco, about 73. Uh, I think it was I think it was Richard Brodigan and Michael McClure and Stuart Brand and myself and several others. And the poet Nanao Sakaki, Japanese poet, was in the United States at that time. My old comrade from Suwanose Island, actually. And Nanao raised his hand in the middle of all of that paranoid discussion. And he said, you guys all wrong. No need to survive. Yeah, what a relief. <laughs> later, I was out in the desert. Uh, just a couple of weeks later, I was out in the desert, and that message was completed for me in the form that this poem describes. It's called Magpie's Song. Six in the morning, I was sitting down by an excavation gravel pile Juniper, desert southern Pacific tracks, Interstate 80 not far off. And between trucks could hear coyotes, maybe three, howling and yapping from a rise. Then a magpie flew down to a bough, tipped his head and looked at me and said, Here in the mine, brother, Turquoise blue, I wouldn't fool you. Smell the breeze, it came through all the trees. No need to fear what's ahead, snow up on the hills west. We'll be there every year, be at rest. A feather on the ground, the wind sound. Here in the mind, brother, turquoise blue. That's just how it came to me. Then he flew off. I'm going to finish tonight with this. It came out of a backpacking trip through the Absarokis and the southeast corner of Yellowstone Wilderness. 
where I passed through a, a territory called the Thoroughfare Meadows, in which moose, coyotes, grizzly bear, black bear, marsh hawks, bald eagles, golden eagles, trout, were moving around the way it's supposed to be. And seeing that little island of Pleistocene richness you know, reminded me of how the planet is, really. And so that's what I did here. Ah, to be alive. On a mid-September morn, fording a stream, barefoot, pants rolled up, holding boots, pack on, sunshine, ice in the shallows, northern Rockies. Rustle and shimmer of icy creek water, stones turn underfoot as small and hard as toes, cold nose dripping, singing inside, creek music, heart music, smell of sun on gravel. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the soil of Turtle Island and to the beings who thereon dwell. One ecosystem in diversity under the sun with joyful interpenetration for all. Ha, <laughs> ha,